Yeah, we had uh, three new patrons apparently, but oh, very uh, nice. Gordon hasn't uh, given me any info about them, so uh, he should uh, give them that shout out uh, next week, I think. Yeah, okay. It's April 28th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Brabant Laboratorist. With me today is uh, not Gordon Derrick, he's away uh, to Bristol, but instead I'm joined by Sinead Bolstas, contributing editor at Dutch News and umbrella refuser. Yes, indeed, I am an umbrella refuser. Yes, can you uh, well, talk to us? Well, Gordon uh, keeps that's... writing these incredibly sparky and interested and colourful articles about the rubbish weather that we are having, and I do not want him to have so much enthusiasm for horrible <laughs> weather stories. I refuse to have an umbrella. It's April. It's, it's time for it's, some sunshine. It's, it's not even, it's the end of April. Yeah. It's, all, it's almost May. Uh, I think we deserved a little bit of sunshine exactly. uh, right now. And a little bit of more, a uh, little bit higher temperatures. Because yesterday, we will talk about Koningsdag uh, later in the podcast. But yesterday, it was nice weather in terms of we had some sunshine. But the temperature was so cold that it still was a, a dreadful day. And I just went outside uh, to get my groceries. And uh, it's 11 degrees, but it feels like three. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's rubbish. It really it's is. Time for we need this spring to, to, to finally start because uh, yeah, it's getting ridiculous. Um, however, next week, I'm going to, or actually tomorrow, I'm going to Spain, to Seville. Oh. And I just read that there is a uh, enormous heat wave going on over there. So I'm not sure if I'm ready to uh, for this transition from this uh, dreadful coldness uh, here in the Netherlands to uh, to these enormous heat waves, which apparently um, horses are fainting and dying in the streets. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's well, terrible. Why is it not coming up here? What's wrong with the wind? I, I yeah, I hope uh, I hope I can bring uh, some 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 of the temperature back to uh, to the Netherlands when I uh, when I come uh, come back next week. So yes, uh, please. Um, I will I will do my utter best. Thank you. And, and tell me, why are you a Brabant laboratorist? What's a laboratorist? Someone in a laboratory? That's a, that's a, a laboratory is somewhat yeah, an assistant who works in a laboratory, and uh, it turns out, uh, or uh, there, there was news this week that uh, police has dismantled twenty uh, percent more illegal drug drug labs this year than they did last year and uh, uh, naturally most of the uh, the drug laboratories were uh, in Brabant of and course. I come from Brabant so uh, the running gag on this podcast is that uh, I uh, secretly run a, a, a drug uh, a, a drug laboratory and a criminal organization um, unfortunately my lawyer is now uh, <laughs> arrested so uh, no, 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 that's, uh, that's uh, something for later in the podcast exactly um, and did the police yeah. get 20% more hits because they're 20% more effective or because there's 50% more crime? Uh, I, I actually don't know. I didn't read the article, so I cannot answer this. Uh, and also my lawyers advised me not to answer these oh, questions. Oh, very good. So, uh, very good. Yeah, Excellent. I, I really don't uh, don't know the answer. And good if I idea. did, then I can't, uh, can't possibly tell you. Um, so yeah, uh, again, thank you for joining us. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have a podcast this week. So uh, yeah, thanks that you uh, want to join us, that you want to be our spare Gordon. Thank you. Yeah, my uh, pleasure. If that's what you want. Um, so yeah, let's uh, jump to the OPEF of the week. Uh, I thought there wasn't any OPEF this week, but uh, luckily uh, there was. Uh, <laughs> 
was quite early in the week, though. Uh, and it comes from Hilversum this time, where the public broadcasting service NPO requested Culture Deputy Minister Kune Uslu to revoke the broadcasting license of broadcaster Ongehoord Nederland. The, the request comes after the broadcaster received a third fine for what the NPO's ombudsman described as systematically breaking journalistic codes. The Netherlands doesn't have a single public broadcaster like in the UK, but is instead divided over a number of member-based organizations representing different religious and political streams. And two years ago, journalist and war reporter Arnold Karskens founded a new broadcaster called Ongehoord Nederland, or The Netherlands Unheard, to give a voice to those who are not heard and feel estranged from politics and public services. Um, they were publicly backed by far-right parties such as uh, the PVV and Forum for Democracy. And since ON started airing, they have repeatedly come under fire for spreading misinformation and alleged racism. Most broadcasts are dedicated to conspiracy theories surrounding coronavirus and the World Economic Forum, climate change denial and replacement theories, for which the broadcaster was already fined two times. And I think they they feel like uh, three times uh, is enough. Uh, and now uh, uh, they are they requested uh, uh, the ministry to um, to revoke their license. And uh, the MPO's request to ban ON was applauded by those who don't feel we should spend taxpayer money on spreading these false and dangerous conspiracy theories while others, such as PVV and foreign politicians, said the move was an attempt to silence and cancel a large group of people and was simply an attack on freedom of speech. And Deputy Minister Uslu has said that she will make a careful decision. Mm, interesting. What's your favourite on Hoord Nederland programme, Paul? They only have one programme. It's called Ongehoord News and they broadcast on uh, Thursday and Tuesday at noon, so it's not exactly a... Um, uh, a, a great spot time slot in the television uh, uh, program but uh, nonetheless they stirred a lot of opf in the yeah almost two years that they're in existence now my favorite program though is the time that when they weren't airing on television yet but they only were started as a youtube channel and that was when um, former VVD MP uh, Eibeltje Bergmoes, who uh, was known as the least visible MP ever. In her five years as an MP, she only spoke two words. Uh, and in her um, in, in the biography, in her book that she wrote after her tenure, she said that she was basically spending her time watching Netflix uh, until there was a vote and then she showed up and then she returned to her, uh, to her uh, iPad again. So not a very effective MP, but she was attracted to uh, Ongehoord Nederlands and she interviewed Pim Fortuyn. He's dead, isn't he? Yes. Yes. But she used a. Uh, a oh, uh, a sound- an, 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 oh, like a like a AI kind of uh, deep fake or something. No, 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 no. It was even worse than that. She used a medium, a, a psychic, who channeled uh, Pim Fortuyn's answers to her questions. And this psychic is uh, also very notorious because he uh, was a TV psychic, but he was, uh, yeah, uncovered as a as a fraud. Well, they all are. But he, in a reading, he once said to, to, to one member of the audience, was your family member a genverbrander when she was still alive or he was still alive? Genverbrander, nobody knew what it was. So someone started Googling it and it turned out that that word appeared on a, a website, a genealogical website. Um, and it was a, it, it, it was a uh, spelling error. Just, it had to say... Geneverbrander, which is someone who produces gin. Uh, so he used that 
spelling error in his reading and he was then uncovered as a fraud. Gen Verbrander uh, was the word of the year in 2007. Ah. So a lot of layers of ophef culminated in this interview with Pim Fortuyn on their YouTube channel. Uh, but that was already a sign that um, yeah, it wasn't going to be... <laughs> So, uh, so, so three strikes and they're out now. And yes. you, pre- you predicted it a few years ago. Excellent. Oh yes, I think everyone everyone could have could have expected this because you know they uh, yeah it's um, but yeah it's it it is a problem. They are, they are literally spreading uh, conspiracy theories and yeah nonsense about vaccines and about the corona pandemic uh, on the air uh, funded by taxpayers so yeah it's it is a legitimate question if we really should uh, spend money on, on on this kind of um yeah misinformation uh, but um wouldn't it be a bit ironic if uh nederland becomes unheard because it's banned so yes. the name would be kind of prescient yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, uh, in that regard, they all almost predicted themselves that they would be banned eventually. This week, uh, the cabinet apologized once again for how they dealt with the damage caused by earthquakes in Groningen. Criminal lawyer Ines Veski was arrested for allegedly taking part in a criminal organization. Fun time is over and now the cabinet is forced to cut spending for the first time in years. NS might introduce an extra fee for traveling in rush hour and we take a look at how the country celebrated King's Day. Prime Minister Mark Rutte finally released the cabinet's official response to the parliamentary inquiry report on the Groningen gas extraction. The committee concluded that for decades the interest of the people of Groningen had been placed second on the financial importance of the gas earnings and the government had ignored the physical and emotional damage caused by earthquakes resulting from gas extraction. Thousands of homes were damaged and are in need of repair or have been declared too unsafe to live in. The Dutch state has earned more than 360 billion euros from the exploitation of the Groningen gas fields since extraction began in 1963. Uh, Prime Minister Rutte and Mining Minister Hans Velbrief presented the cabinet response in a community centre in Garmerwolde, in the heart of the earthquake zone. Rutte apologised again for the mistakes which had been made and the way locals had been abandoned. The damage caused by 60 years of gas extraction cannot be undone by a stroke of the pen, Rutte said, but pledged the cabinet will do whatever it takes to compensate for the damage and ensure everyone has a safe residence. This is our debt of honor to the region and this is our last chance to make things right, Rutte said. And an emotional Velbrief said he was ashamed of what the government had done and that generations living in the earthquake zone have been seriously disadvantaged. And he added that the cabinet will tackle the damage to homes, but the emotional and mental damage would be more difficult. So we've, uh, we've finally got an apology, but uh, Rutte also presented a new plan for the future of Gronia? Yes, uh, the government has said... Uh, <clears throat> Yes, the government has set aside an extra 13.5 billion to help solve the problems in Groningen. And this comes on top of the 8.7 billion already allocated for reparations and strengthening of the 85,000 buildings that have been damaged as a result of the earthquakes. To boost the regional economy and develop the area, 50 separate measures will be taken, such as investments in local infrastructure. And uh, the cabinet wants to help Groningen develop into an agricultural region of the 21st century and to have it play an important role in the field of renewable energy. And additionally, the cabinet will invest in the overall quality of living in the region. Groningen municipalities will receive more money to spend on psychological and physical health issues, as well as public facilities such as libraries and schools. But uh, not everyone is convinced that uh, all this finally will be enough. 
No, uh, especially uh, local politicians uh, feel the investments are not enough. Uh, earlier, they said that at least 30 billion euros was necessary to repair damages and boost our regional economy. But the cabinet said that 22 billion will be more than sufficient. Uh, people in Groningen responded skeptically to the cabinet's plan and they have reason to do so because until now progress in uh, repair and strengthening operations has been frustratingly slow and people reporting damages to their house have been stranded in a bureaucratic nightmare. Uh, until now, only 30% of the 85,000 damaged buildings have been repaired. And to avoid unnecessary delays and complications, the cabinet will from now on reimburse all damages up to 40,000 euros without an investigation. And if that leads to uh, yeah, some uh, wasted money, uh, they uh, will take that for granted, uh, the cabinet said. Yeah, because otherwise before they were showing that uh, about three quarters of the so-called money for repairs was actually spent on expert reports and prevarication and denying people their claims. And I came across somebody who said he had his claim refused because an inspector said that he uh, used soap in his shower and that caused cracking. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. All sorts of ridiculousness uh, you see coming by. Um, And yeah, the people in Groningen just need to be helped and um, it is to a large extent impossible which damages is caused by the earthquakes and which not. But um, that doesn't mean that people have been living in an earthquake zone for uh, for a couple of decades now and they have suffered um, yeah, living in fear basically for every time there is an earthquake and what that could done could, could do to their houses and to their safety of their of them and their families. So yeah, um, um, this is also a this 40,000 euros, you know, uh, uh, um, reimbursement um, is also a, I think, a way of of, of compensating for the uh, psychological um, uh, damages people uh, have suffered, uh, rather than only the uh, physical damages in in the houses. Yeah, although it's quite interesting, it was called a debt of honour, wasn't it? Because in some ways, that's a not legalistic term. So perhaps reduces the chance that people are actually going to go after the government for for further damages. I think it's interesting. It's very nebulous, actually. It sounds very grand, but yeah. actually it's quite weak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, we're going to have to wait and see how... Um, how this new pledge will uh, will work out. Uh, it, for me, I don't live in Groningen, so I probably shouldn't ask me uh, 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 w- w- uh, about this. But I, I think that this uh, really has uh, shown a, a change in attitude from the cabinet towards um, um, uh, the problems in Groningen. Um, yeah, but yeah, the, the 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 people in Groningen themselves they they are skeptical, and uh, yeah, as I said, they have reason to. Uh, to do so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I was first reported from Kronia five, six years ago, and the situation was exactly the same. So you have to wonder why it took so long for the government to respond. And yeah. of course, you've still got about a quarter of the gas in that reserve still down there. So the state is paying a huge amount of money to people in Kronia while not fully exploiting the gas reserve, which you can argue about for all kinds of climate change reasons, but it does seem somewhat ironic. Yeah. On to other news, a long-standing criminal lawyer, Ines Vesky, who has been defending the chief suspect in a major gangland trial, has been arrested and remanded in custody for allegedly being part of a criminal organisation. She's suspected of helping the lead suspect in the massive Marengo case, Riduan Taggi, communicate with the outside world from his high-security prison cell. 
At 43-year-old Taggy is the alleged head of a cocaine ring and well-oiled murder machine, accused of ordering six murders and attempting or preparing a number of others between 2015 and 2017. He was picked up in Dubai in 2019 and transferred to the Netherlands, where he's in pre-trial detention. Weski, a well-respected lawyer of more than 40 years, is now apparently accused of helping Taghi communicate with the outside world. Yeah, and it should be noted that uh, Taghi is currently um, not in a normal uh, arrest. He is in the high security prison in Vught and he um, is uh, forbidden to have any contact to the outside world. Um, he's basically uh, living in isolation right now. Uh, he's only allowed uh, uh, one hour. Uh, he's only allowed to go outside for one hour a day uh, and o- also only alone and he's only allowed to have contact with his with his uh, lawyer um, and um, yeah, um, th- th- this this news has 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 it come as a surprise? Uh, um. Well, in some ways, yes, it has actually. Uh, Weski has had an untarnished reputation, uh, and she's been a criminal lawyer for many decades. But it's not completely unknown that a lawyer could be accused of. Um, being part of a criminal organisation. Um, there were a few cases in the, in the past. Uh, Oscar Hammerstad was arrested and uh, cleared a few years ago for the same charge. But um, Trau points out there are 18,000 lawyers registered in the Netherlands and, and this kind of thing doesn't happen very often. Yeah, and, and it wasn't the first uh, time in this case that a lawyer was arrested for the same charges, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Yusef Taghi, the uh, nephew of the main suspect, he was sentenced to five and a half years in jail earlier this year for uh, passing on information from his uncle in prison. Uh, although lawyers are allowed this confidential access to their clients in jail, they aren't allowed to pass it on to third parties. And that was the allegation um, that was uh, found proven in that case. And one of the reasons that the public prosecutor is really investigating links between Marengo suspects and the outside world is that there have been three other murders connected with this case. There was the murder of the brother of the main Crown witness, who's key to the charges, and then his lawyer, Derek Viersum, and then the assassination on the streets of Amsterdam of this Crown witness's confidant, uh, the journalist Peter Ardefries. And the trial for that murder of Peter Ardefries is uh, still ongoing. So anyway, in the meantime, Weski has stepped back from the defence of Taggy. So there are questions about what that means for this mega trial, the Marengo trial, with 17 suspects, which began in 2022. Yeah, and it should also be noted that when um, Ridwan Taghi's uh, nephew, Youssef Taghi, was on trial, their initial uh, defence strategy was saying, uh, yeah, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't my client, the, the, the lawyer of Yusef Tachi said, it wasn't my client who passed on the information. It must have been the other lawyer, meaning Ines Wesky. So, um, and all of a sudden they dropped this, this, this line of defense. Um, Yusef was, uh, was uh, 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 sentenced to jail. Um, and yeah, um, now, uh, now we have this development. Um, this whole Marengo trial and this whole business surrounding Rido Antachi is just one of the craziest uh, trials I think we have ever seen in this country. So many developments, so many uh, uh, crazy turns of events, um, all, all these murders. It's just really... Um, I think we should do, almost do a special on on, 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 on this case because uh, so many developments have been uh, happening. It's just hard to, to, to keep track of it all. Yeah, and, and you, you have know. you have side avenues where things like the other yeah. main suspects 
uh, protesting that his glasses got left behind in his his country his country of origin, and uh, so they can't proceed because he can't read things properly. And it, it's it's a really a mega trial that, that that's taking a very very long time, and it's super confusing if you're in the courtroom yeah. because you've not just got the defence and the prosecution, you've got seventeen seventeen defence lawyers for all of these aspects. Yeah, it's uh, it's really crazy. Climate Minister Rob Jette published the Cabinet's plan on tackling climate change. Uh, $28 billion will be spent on 120 separate measures to reduce carbon emissions by at least 55% by 2030 and possibly as much as 60%. Jette said the idea is to share the costs and benefits of change as equally as possible so that the climate policy works for everyone. The measures focus on reducing CO2 emissions by industry, the transport sector and electricity generation. Additionally, more subsidies will be available for private households to improve insulations with the threshold as low as possible. Other measures... In, I, I, I didn't write uh, isolation though, so uh, that's... Uh, yes, that's well done, well done. Thank you. Other measures include the closing of all gas and coal-fired electricity generators by 2035, a tax reduction for households that use a low amount of gas, um, and also petrol will go up in price to make electric vehicles more attractive, and also an ex- expansion of electric vehicle charging networks uh, is uh, in the planning. Uh, the government will also invest in research of ways to develop battery systems to store renewable energy. So this sounds like a fund of many billions of euros, but uh, actually... The government sending a message that the time of endless spending is coming to an end, isn't it? Yes. Uh, how many how many funds of multi billion uh, multi billion funds have we seen in the past? We had the nitrogen funds, we had the climate funds, we had um, Groningen, uh, which is also a multi billion fund. Uh, migration. We'll talk about that later as well. Uh, you name it, we had a multi billion fund uh, for it. But time of yeah, Corona, of course, uh, the energy cap. Yeah, uh, so many of them. But uh, the end, the uh, uh, the time of these uh, multi billion funds is uh, is. Uh, is nearing uh, because the cabinet is facing a budget gap and a shortfall in funds for the first time in many years. Um, Extra cash is needed to pay for higher interest rates on government loans uh, and also, uh, yeah, as I just mentioned, the cap on energy prices and uh, also a spending boost on the asylum system. Um, in total, the government faced a shortfall of 6 billion euros and the coalition reached an agreement surprisingly fast, to be honest, because they agreed to use the so-called kaasgraaf method or the cheese slicer method. Brilliant. Is there, yeah, is there an English word for kaasgraaf? I actually don't know. Yeah, cheese slice, but we don't really ah. use them. We cut thick slices of cheddar. Yes. Yeah, uh, 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 barbaric. Um, all government departments need to reduce their spending by the same amount, with the exception of the defense ministry because of its role in supporting Ukraine. Uh, taxes on fuel will be reinstated after it was temporarily reduced following the war in Ukraine and uh, yeah, a rise in, uh, in petrol prices. Uh, and a government work-related training program will be scrapped, which will save 200 million a year. And the stop scheme was, has become uh, has come on a fire for funding people to go on in- irrelevant courses, such as uh, crypto coaches and uh, whatever. A shortage of childcare workers, which forces the government to postpone the introduction of virtually free childcare by two years to 2027, also helps in lowering government spending for the coming years. Uh, elk nadel heb ze voordeel, a wise man once said. Uh, and uh, there was a little bit of ophef about this latest news because a lot of people 
interpreted this news as, oh, the government needs to cut spending. They're going to postpone uh, the free childcare uh, uh, scheme. But yeah, the, uh, it was actually, um, uh, the, the, the cabinet actually got lucky uh, that they had to uh, postpone the, uh, uh, the, the, the free childcare because that means they can save uh, a lot of money um, uh, uh, in the coming years. So um, it was in the reversed order. And of course, there are few, going to be fewer gas revenues from Groningen, which is another problem that the budget uh, needs to make up. I think they already calculated that in, didn't they? Because they have uh, virtually stopped extracting gas in, the, in last year, I think, or this year. No, not? Not quite. Not quite. Uh, uh, they, they have they have uh, they have filled the the, the gap in the in in the uh, in, in the budget, for now at least, and we don't know how it's going to look uh, in six years when uh, when the cabinet uh, publishes its uh, its budget for for the coming years. Uh, so we'll see. And you mentioned uh, money for for immigration and asylum, and there are concerns this year that the number of asylum seekers is going to be rising again. And if we're not careful, we could face scenes like those at Ter Apple Registration Centre last August when people were forced to sleep outside and help organisations and churches eventually had to spring in to help as the world's press reported on these terrible circumstances in the Netherlands. Uh, But at the same time, some of the emergency solutions that were put into place last year are now facing their best before date, not least in Felsen Nord in North Holland, where this week the vast majority of people on an asylum ship have been bussed away to other refugee centres. Now, there there was an agreement in this small town that uh, in exchange for more than three million euros, a ship for a thousand refugees would be moored in the harbour for six months. But it passed its uh, sell-by date in March and the local council voted not to renew its stay. So in the last few weeks, about 660 people have been taken elsewhere. And um, you've actually been on board uh, the ship, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I went on board the ship last week. Um, had to negotiate it with the uh, COA uh, agency that uh, coordinates um, asylum uh, shelter throughout the Netherlands. Um, was it as luxurious as some right-wing politicians want you to believe? No, and they're trying very hard actually to not give the impression that it is luxury, that it's that it's decent, that it's clean, but the swimming pool is closed and the shops are closed and the casino is closed and the disco is a kind of meditation space. So you wouldn't describe it as, as luxurious. Um, look, it's a lot better than people sleeping on the ground if that's the only other option. But uh, some politicians point out that whatever you think about asylum and the number of uh, refugees that you should take as a country, the Netherlands has signed up to international treaties to give people a fair decision-making process and humane treatment in the meantime. Um, But in this ship context, you've got an awful lot of nationalities in one single place, all kinds of diverse groups, um, and people don't really have much to do because it's very hard to find work if you're temporarily in one place, even if you have permission to work. And the cabins, which in that case are meant for ferry crossings between uh, Finland and Estonia, uh, are apparently very small. So the ship in, in Felsenord is, is very well kept. It's obviously properly managed, but I, I don't think that anyone thinks it's an ideal solution. No, and there were also a lot of concerns about having refugees on ships last year, weren't there? Yeah, the the original proposal seemed to be to have all these boats floating out at sea somewhere with lots of uh, refugees and asylum seekers aboard. And um, 
human rights organisations and refugee organisations said it was an absurd plan and Liberal MPs put in critical questions and were fuming about it. So the government quite quickly backtracked on that uh, notion. So now there are two big cruise ships uh, at harbour. There's one in Amsterdam and there's this one in Felsenord where about 200 children who are going to school in the area and people with an economic bond, i.e. a job relation with the area, are allowed to stay on it in May and then come June, no one knows. No one knows what's going to happen to yeah. the ship or the people. Um, the ships, in the meantime, they've got buses to take people into town so they're, they're not stranded in a kind of remote area that get to the train station and go to Amsterdam or Rotterdam or wherever. And that there have been zero incidents. Uh, in Amsterdam, the ship's going to stay for another six months, uh, although the deputy mayor says it's really not ideal. And uh, Rutger Groot Vossink is campaigning very hard for the government to take control of the situation and actually implement a contr- controversial bill to spread refugees and asylum seekers across the Netherlands. Because at the moment, some places, Amsterdam, Utrecht, Vossenord, do a lot, and some, like Rosendaal, Delft, and Westland, do nothing. I come from Rosenhal and I live in Delft. So, uh. Sorry, you're the problem. Uh, as with the laboratories, I think that you're the source of all the Netherlands' problems, pal. <laughs> yes, and wasn't there also uh, some other news about refugees working this week? Yeah, that's right. A court in Arnhem uh, ruled that uh, one particular asylum seeker from Nigeria could work for more than 24 weeks a year, which is the Dutch limit. And this was ruled to be contravening European law. So at the moment, asylum seekers have to wait nine months before they can work. And then there's been this 24 week limit with the idea that they shouldn't accrue benefits like unemployment if their request for asylum is actually rejected and they're deported. I mean, actually, legally, you have to be in the Netherlands to get unemployment benefit anyway. Um, But the court ruling means potentially that more people can work for longer, which, of course, Ukrainian refugees have been allowed to do from the start. Train travellers can expect more expensive train tickets for travelling in rush hour and more timetable cuts after 2025. Junior Infrastructure Minister Viviane Heine has given the Dutch railways a green light to vary prices in rush hour and on busy routes. Uh, the idea is that an extra rush hour fee will spread travellers more evenly throughout the day and less trains will run on quiet routes and times. The extra fee on busy routes is meant to afford longer trains and NS has granted the concession to provide rail transport from 2025 to 2033 but rising costs and declining revenues are creating a financial deficit that requires solutions. Fewer people travel Fewer people travel by train than before the corona pandemic and INS was hit hard by rising energy prices and personnel costs. Travelers uh, lobby group Rover as well as FNV Union are outraged by the plans. They say travelers and commuters will have to pay more for less and the government and NS should focus on getting more people to use public transport and increasing the price of a train ticket will only accomplish the opposite. Yeah, Um, yeah, that uh, idea of a rush hour fee I don't know if this is true, but I read it somewhere on, on Twitter that this uh, was uh, applied in uh, different countries uh, uh, throughout Europe. Someone said also the UK, but I'm not entirely sure. Uh, and they say that it literally has an opposite effect because people have to go to work, so they have to travel in rush hour. And if uh, train tickets are more expensive, they will just use a different mode of transportation rather than uh, going two hours earlier to work or two hours later. Yeah, I um, mean, in the UK, you always pay less for off-peak travel. So okay, it wasn't so they explain like a, it. They explain it differently. They they shift the yeah. uh, the the PR emphasis the other way around. I mean, it has some logic if you want to encourage people to spread 
the travel but then if like you say if you don't have a choice but more and more companies are moving to kind of more hybrid ways of working so it's not quite the same nine to five as it was before corona so people that's right and 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 as says that that is that whole hybrid system is uh, one of the reasons why they uh, they have less travelers on their trains and they are forced to uh, to to cut uh, uh, their services um, but you said you like uh, the Dutch railways. I love Dutch uh, railways. They're great. Oh, goodness. I mean, if you've not been on trains in the UK, you just you just don't know how privileged you are to have trains that more or less come on time. They're pretty <laughs> clean. People generally don't eat too much on them. You know, wait until you get the 11 p.m. back from London, Victoria to God knows where in Surrey and people come on with disgusting takeaways and they stick their feet on the seats and it's just horrendous and there's no seats anyway and you're standing up in the corridor. Yeah, I was going to say, if you speak to other people that are from outside the Netherlands, they say um, it could be 100 times worse. So just just be happy with what you have. And um, uh, an extra prize here and there is uh, is, is worth it, uh, (laughs) they say. Yeah, um, and you you don't really end up standing on too many Dutch services, whereas in the UK, you're kind of squeezed in like sardines with your nose up someone's elbow and paying a, a premium price for it. Yeah. Yeah, it happens, but uh, yeah, in my experience, not uh, not too often. Uh, indeed, yes. And also, the uh, uh, mm, someone says that said that uh, the the Dutch railways, especially in the Randstad area, functions mostly like uh, a subway system, a metro system, right? The uh, frequency and uh, um, 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 also the the distances between several stations. It it resembles almost a metro sest- system rather than an actual train system. Yeah, and you can get out of the country in a couple of hours on the train, which is incredible, incredible service. Um, Thinking about trains, one time of the year we do have rather busy trains, and that is on King's Day. Yes. When uh, when people decide to take the train to come into our metropolises and uh, and, and have a big party. So um, despite the Red Cross warning that we'd all freeze to death on King's Day <laughs> this year, it was actually sunny and bright and there were no particular incidents. Um, this year, 20, this 27th of April, marked 10 years on the throne for King Willem-Alexander, the ripe old uh, manopausal age of 56, I'm calling it. <laughs> uh, and he uh, he celebrated in Rotterdam, having taken yes. the chance to offend locals by letting it be known a few weeks before that he supported uh, Amsterdam's Ajax rather than their beloved football team Feyenoord. Mm-hmm. Um, to make up Queen Maxima, ever the uh, pourer of oil on troubled waters, wore a Feyenoord scarf yesterday. Yes. Um, she Villa- also, she was, her, did you notice that her dress uh, was, was green? But she, initially she, she wore a, a white cape and that uh, resembled the flag of Rotterdam, which is green, white, green. So, uh, yeah, she is very smart in her uh, uh, fashion choices. Uh, she indeed, is, yes. she is indeed the royal family's uh, biggest diplomatic tool. But, um, Despite that, currently, actually, support for the monarchy in the Netherlands is not particularly high, and around 55% of the population say they don't have trust in the king. So there's, there's plenty of ground to make up, and maybe a fund, Koningsdag, uh, would help. Although Mark Rutter pointed out in his weekly press conference this week that his own support levels is 20%, <laughs> so the king's doing quite well, really. Yes. 
Um, so what were the highlights of Koningsdag this year? Well, Amsterdam, as usual, told people to stop coming into the center at some point of the day, worrying about overcrowding. It's, also, it's almost a, a starting to become a, 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 an annual tradition, right? Absolutely. Uh, Amsterdam requesting people to stay at home because uh, it's too crowded in the uh, Grachtengordel, yes. Yeah, uh, but Rotterdam uh, followed suit this year and so did Breda. So, um, but the, the consensus was on the streets that it was fairly quiet in the morning because we'd all been warned off by the road across that we're all going to get frostbite. Yeah. Um, and our children too. Uh, but the, the party kind of came on in the afternoon, and, but the police said there wasn't too much trouble to report. There was someone walking around in Leiden, uh, if you believe, uh, if you believe Twitter, uh, with a, a scythe, like a grim reaper. It's unusual kind of uh, thing to buy. Uh, and on the Plitzkach, that's uh, kind of down Market Street in uh, Amsterdam, uh, a couple of uh, people in their 20s were charging five euros to go to the loo oh, with, wow. a free, with a free mimosa so that people would have to go to the loo again, <laughs> presumably in a never-ending cycle of despair. Yes. Um, did you have... I mean, I mean, Koningsdag is about entrepreneurship, right? So you just have to exploit everyone as much as possible on this on this particular day. It's just part of the tradition. It's about teaching your children to do it, not just yourself. <laughs> this is about no, passing right. on this yes. fine tradition of being an excellent trader, getting an excellent deal for yourself, but also making someone happy that they get a good deal as well. So, you know, win-win. Yes, and and, and I, I uh, saw that you had a nice stall uh, with your children, didn't you? I did indeed. I my my children nice. We sold a cake and a waffles, which someone pointed out uh, had been spelt wrong uh, on our on our blackboard. Oh. Thanks, uh, okay. thanks for the criticism, person. We spell it with two Fs in England. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, my children were delighted because they made uh, 25 euros each. And someone asked me for oh. my recipe for Austrian coffee cake, which particularly uh-huh. pleased me because I actually forgot one of the ingredients in the icing, the coffee. Uh-huh. And I had to sprinkle it on <laughs> the coffee. Oh, the coffee. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had to sprinkle it on afterwards. So I was pleased that uh, my error was not noted. Um, okay, and, a, and a very lovely lady told me that sitting eating my carrot cake with uh, candied carrots in the sun uh, made it her best Koningsdach ever. Oh, wow. Which was so sweet. I, I almost became a royalist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, did, what yeah. did you get up to, Paul? Uh, I didn't have as much a lucrative uh, day as you did. I didn't have a stall. What, what I noticed, by the way, used to be the case that in the days before Koningsdag, everyone would go out to the city center and just chalk their name on a, on a, on a, on a piece of the, on the pavement, right? Or saying Bezet. And that was sacred. Nobody um, would dare uh, uh, get, uh, putting their stuff on that spot. But recently, I noticed... Um, you see more and more fights and arguments uh, breaking out on the streets because uh, someone has stolen a, a an already claimed uh, spot on the street. So um, yeah, it's um, this is not a good development, I have to say. Tough wars. Um, well, they, people just say, of course, that the horrible rain yes. of which we spoke earlier has uh, just washed away the chalk, and they didn't realize. <laughs> Some yeah, okay. If that's true, then I can understand. But uh, you see, sometimes just people stealing other. Sp- other people's spots and that's not a good development uh, at all uh, no i uh, spent my day first watching the king in rotterdam on tv um these poor people uh it's uh, the uh, it's just fun watching them suffer right so uh, the, pe- I, uh, the people I, of rotterdam or the royal family the royal family in particular was suffering i think the people who were standing on the side of the streets uh, actually enjoyed every- everything of it 
Um, and then I went to uh, Delft, the city center. Uh, I walked around. I didn't buy anything. Uh, I, on, on, uh, I actually bought one uh, uh, cupcake. Um, and I avoided uh, um, uh, off-tune violins as much as possible. Uh, and then I went to Leiden to have uh, uh, a beer in a park, but it was too cold, so. <laughs> it was, hold on, it wasn't you walking down the street with the scythe then, because that was in Leiden. No, 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 it wasn't me, it wasn't me. I deny every, again, my lawyers advised me to, uh, to not to answer these questions. Um, so yeah, I just spend it uh, as I usually do. Um, Excellent. Nothing too special, but it was too. It was way, way too cold, I think. Yeah, it was cold. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. How much did you pay for your cupcake? We had a two dynamic euro. pricing model. You see, we were trying to work out what the market price was. Ah, uh, two euros fifty. Oh, expensive! I was. Yeah, and people it was. were complaining that my delicious cakes were three euros. So tight. Three euros isn't that. That isn't too expensive for they homemade cakes. They were three-layer cake, right? cakes. Yeah, they were, they were pr pretty large, I saw on the photo. No, I, I, th I thought it was well re reasonably priced, yeah. Um, and people who, should... people who are nice to me got a free chocolate coffee bean. Ah, that's nice. And did you add a fee in rush hour or not? No, we didn't in the end. We were going <laughs> to, but uh, I think I overcharged someone for limonada by mistake because I forgot that it was supposed to be 50 cents and not 150, but um, never mind. Was there something else I wanted to say? Well, you've listed sport, uh, and then I wrote on the script, oh God, please no. So if we can be spared some sport, that would be wonderful. Yes, we are spared sports Yay! because uh, uh, we're running out of time, and also I can't be bothered uh, with the sports. Except that, um, and I forget her name, someone won the London Marathon, a Dutch lady. She did very well. Shanna's now going to look up what her name is. I can't so remember. I she to. was lovely. She was yeah, so she really was. sweet. Yeah. And, she, and she's, our, she's our champion uh, 5,000 and 10,000 meter uh, runner. And she, but she hadn't really trained for the marathon. And she, at one point she had a sore leg and she had to rub her hip. And then she couldn't pick up a drink because she hadn't practiced doing it. And you obviously don't have to do that for shorter runs. And at the end, she was so sweet. And she said, oh, I don't know if I would be able to do it. But then I did it and I came first. <laughs> Amazing. And that was uh, Sifan Hassan, of course. Very yes. nice lady. Very, Very good nice. runner, clearly. And it was a it was a Dutch record, wasn't it? Uh, I believe it was. Just yes, over, just over two hours. Uh, stunning comeback, the New York Times uh, says it was. That's uh, all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. Uh, my thanks to uh, Shinai Bostas. Uh, we'll be back next week with Gordon, without me, without Shinai, and uh, see you soon. Bye. Thank you.